Good evening, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and it is my pleasure this evening that we bring to you a story about a gentleman who is very, very inspiring. And this is a very, very special program for me because, as many of you know, I was a low-vision eye doctor for 18 years. And after being in practice and doing what I have wanted to do ever since the age of six, I developed a rare retinal disorder. That retinal disorder forced me to retire from practice. And when I retired, I became just so depressed. It was something that I had never experienced before. And even though I spoke to so many of my patients and I told them, you know, you can go on, you can go on, you could live even if you have low vision. You could do anything you want to do. When it happened to me, I was literally paralyzed. I did not want to leave my home. I changed the phone numbers. I didn't want to go to the store. Uh, my wife would even ask me if I wanted to go out and have pizza, and I told her no. I didn't want anybody to see me because what if I tripped and fell or what if I knocked over my water? I'd be too embarrassed. But it was this gentleman, Mr. Keith Christian, who was a teacher at that time at Nobel Middle School where my daughter went to school and with open house. And uh, I then went into his classroom just to say hi. And as soon as I opened the door... He came up and he grabbed me and he showed me everything around his class. And, and I met all of his students. And they were showing me how they were doing things, aquariums, terrariums, learning to play musical instruments. They were learning how to use jaws, reading and writing in Braille. And I was just so encouraged to see how they could do that. And he said to me, hey, Dr. Bill, what are you doing Saturday morning? And I said, oh, I'm not doing anything. I thought maybe he might want to come over and have a cup of coffee or something like that. And he says, well, I'm coming over at 7 o'clock Saturday morning, and I'm going to teach you how to do all of these things, every one of them. And he sure, in fact, did that. I tried to back out of it, but he wouldn't let me. And uh, I, owe, I owe this man, honest to God, I owe this man everything that I have right now. And I, I thank you. Thank you very, very much, Keith. So thank you for being on the show. Uh, you're, thank you for having me, and you give me way too much credit. You deserve all the credit, my friend. No, no, no. You know, there, there's times that we may think that uh, we, we've gone to school or we have all this experience, but it, it takes one person, one person who could change our thinking and our attitude with all of these things. And uh, I want to let everybody know that, each and every one of you out there, you may be that special person to literally change the life. You could change the life of a person who has low vision because without that type of support, uh, there's a lot of people who will give up, and many of them may may even kill themselves, you know. But uh, yeah. I want to, uh, first of all, Keith, I want to congratulate you. And this year... At the Braille Challenge 2016, the Braille Institute of America named Keith Christian the most valuable teacher for the visually impaired in the entire United States. And to make it even more impressive, you are the first teacher award who is visually impaired. So congratulations. 
thank you very much, Bill. It, it, it is a tremendous honor, and um, it just goes to show you that, you know, we could do anything as long as we set our mind to it. Absolutely. You know, I, I was so thrilled when I heard that you were nominated for this, and I just prayed. I said, I hope he wins because he deserves it so much. And one of the things that a lot of people don't know is the fact that uh, I, I first met Keith when he wasn't even a teacher. He was a student at uh, Cal State L.A. Was that where you went to school? Yes, we were going to CPS for a, uh, uh, an evening. It was, um, it was on anatomy and physiology, and you were teaching the course that night. You know, and so there were all of these graduate students who were all studying to become teachers for the visually impaired. And at that time, I had vision, and it was really a lot of fun to have these teachers studying uh, to come to our center to teach them about low vision and anatomy and to show them the tools that we use. And there was this one guy there, this one kid who was goofing around, and he was laughing. And I thought to myself, who in the heck brought their son to this event? This is this is for graduate students. And I then found out that this guy was Keith Christian, and he was really one of the students. You know, Keith, you look so young then. <laughs> I, yeah, things have changed over the last 20 years, though. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, you know, you you'd always have this uh, level of enthusiasm in your voice, and you're you're always the life of the party, and we we became friends because you then scheduled an appointment for yourself to come to see me at the Center for the Partially Sighted, and I remember that you actually had a lot of vision problems. Uh, tell us about your vision problems as far back as you can remember. Well, when I was young, I, well, I have retinitis pigmentosa, and uh, it's a different version. It's it, it, uh, I lost my central vision first. And um, I, I noticed that I, ha- I was very sensitive to light and, and um, not being able to see it in the dark and things like that. And when, when I met you, um, UCLA had come out with, uh, partnered with Corningware to um, develop some, some special blue blocking lenses. And I brought them. They were, they were way too expensive. I was a starving student. And uh, you saw them and, and you, you said, I can make those for you. And... Uh, that was the beginning of, of uh, a wonderful relationship uh, with the Center for the Parsonside for me personally, but also it led into me sending my students there, which was uh, just amazing. But uh, but I do have RP. I, it, it, it was I was 2200 when I was um, young, and I I was able to ride bicycles during the day and then not very safely at night. It gradually got worse um, as I uh, uh, graduated from high school. Um, it, it was apparent that I really needed to learn Braille to get through college, and I uh, learned Braille and uh, um, started learning some of those adaptive technology tools that I needed to get through school, and, and I found a lot of value in, in learning it, and, I'm, and I just wish that I would have learned them at an earlier age when I, when I really needed them in elementary school. So I was too embarrassed and too shy, and I didn't have a VI teacher as a support system to help me get through school. I had to kind of uh, learn how to advocate for myself and, and uh, you know, learn the hard way. And that's why I enjoy being a teacher. I'm going ahead of myself, aren't I? No, but that's all right. It, you know, makes a lot of sense because, 
you know, at least for me, uh, when I was six years old and I failed the school screening, that's when I decided I was going to become an eye doctor. I just couldn't believe how these glasses made things so much clearer. But, you know, getting back to your story of having RP, retinitis pigmentosa is usually an inherited condition. And did you have parents or any other cousins or aunts and uncles who had RP? No, there is no one in our family history. It's an autosomal recessive uh, uh, disease that, that I received. So both my parents had a recessive gene that was expressed in me, but not in any of my brothers or sisters. Now, how did your parents handle that? And, you know, you being a boy and knowing, I know how active you are in terms of you do every sport, you participate in everything. Was it such that they really didn't even understand how severe your vision problem was? No, I, I believe so. I don't think, I can't come from a very large family. I'm the youngest of many, and I think I slipped through the cracks, and I knew how to do that very well. And so I, I participated in a lot of things that, you know, that probably wasn't the best idea. You know, but the, one of the things I remember that when I first met you, too, you looked so normal. I had no clue that you were visually impaired, and you didn't even wear glasses, but when we later talked that night, I realized that in addition to having RP, you already had cataracts, and you had the cataracts removed. So in essence, you should have been wearing very thick glasses, but you weren't even wearing those. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> isn't, that, yeah. isn't that something your doctor told you you need to wear your glasses? Yes, yes. No, I uh, Yeah, and I'll tell you that cataract, um, having cataracts was a challenge, and the doctors wouldn't remove them. Back in the uh, early 80s, they didn't really remove cataracts from um, individuals unless they were they were so severe that, that uh, you couldn't see anymore. And uh, when they did, they took the lenses out of my eyes, so I, don't ha- I may fake it. I don't have lenses. So it's even worse than just not being able to see. It's unfocused, not being able to see. It's it's quite the challenge. My goodness. Now, why was it that when you went to school as as a child with RP and cataracts, how is it that you were not placed in a class with other children with low vision or that you didn't have a teacher for the visually impaired? How could that be? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think that... Um, what happened was is that my family went to specific schools, and I was the last of all of my brothers and sisters, and I wanted to go to those schools. And, and there really was not a VI program, and they, I could have been bussed off to another school that was far away, but um, my parents unfortunately listened to me and let me go to the schools that I wanted to. I, I, I say that, and it sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wishing that I didn't go the route that I went. There's a lot of benefits for me um, going to the schools where I had to learn how to advocate for myself. I, um, if I did go the, uh, to the other school, I think I would have gotten a better education and, and learning to read and write in Braille and, and academically. But I learned how to survive um, going the other route where I did not have the support, and I learned a lot of valuable skills. And um, I, I'm very lucky to be where I am based on the, the quality of education that I think that I received in, in uh K-12. Well, I think that your experience in these, quote, general regular education classes 
I think that it really helped you because I have seen so many students that have been uh, afflicted with low vision since a young age, and I really have to say I, I never, never met someone of your age who was just so outgoing, uh, so confident, so friendly, so social, and you weren't afraid to try and to do anything. Yeah. Well, I think I was afraid of failing, and I think what I have is a great deal of drive and determination. I get that from my mom. My mom is, is an incredible person, and she modeled that for me. I, I've seen it, and I didn't want to let her down or anyone else. And, and my, my goals in life has always been to basically get an education, get a job, own my own home, get married, and hopefully someday have children. And that's always been... The, the benchmark for me and, and how to get there, I had no idea. So I just had to have the drive and determination to do whatever it took to get there. Now, you had mentioned to me also when uh, you came in for your vision exam and we did fit you with those uh, amber, reddish colored glasses, the cornies yeah. and such. And you had told me, though, that you said, you know, I, I think I have a form of dyslexia. I, I really have a hard time spelling and things like that. And considering the fact that you did have a form of a of a dyslexia with spelling and you really couldn't see well enough to be able to read quickly with your eyesight, but you didn't read and write braille proficiently in junior high school, how how did you manage to graduate high school and to get through that demanding curriculum? and then to get accepted into uh, the universities? Um, so I didn't go to college, but what I, what I did was I learned how to use um, um, paper that had darker lines, and I would use um, dark pens and I would, once I, or, or um, soft-leaded pencils. And when I wrote it, I couldn't, I couldn't read it. So go, going back and editing, I couldn't do. But I, but I just, I really enjoyed writing, so I was able to really... Um, do a nice job of making writing legibly, and um, and I was and I memorized everything. I I was instead of playing a lot, a lot of times I would go home and I would memorize lots and lots of things, like in biology. And I think what really um, what made it possible for me is the teachers. The teachers are the ones who allowed me to advocate, say, hey, you know, um, I I really don't want anyone to know that I can't see very well, could you maybe take a pen and just overwrite all of the um, the, uh, the math problems with a darker pen? And, and maybe when you pass out the test, maybe you put mine on the bottom so it doesn't look like, you know, you, just, you happen to give me this one. And, and then eventually to get through school, um, they, they did realize that I needed some help, and I got stuck in a, uh, a class, um, an RSP class, where kids dyslexia and things like that, and and that's why I learned about dyslexia is, is by being in that class because when I was doing my, my – my, I was really good at memorizing math problems and, uh, you know, solve things in my head. And then I'd write the answers on the board, and then I would have somebody else give me handwriting, copying off of the whiteboard onto my papers. And when I get my test back, they were failing, and I found out that the person that was uh, copying the answers down for me was transposing them. That's oh. how I learned about that's how I learned about dyslexia. And I, I think I have that, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. wow. So one of the things, and immediately, uh, you really developed 
the ability to communicate with your teachers, you know, explain to them what help you needed and what you could and could not see. Uh, were there times that they just said, you know, I'm too busy to help you, or were they all very, very understanding? Uh, I wouldn't say all, but most of them were very receptive to it. They saw that I was really trying, I was going above and beyond, and, and no one really knew what to do with me. But, but because I was coming up with solutions, not just complaining about I can't do it, I was coming up with things for them that they could, uh, could do, and, they, and I would allow them to choose. Have me sit in front of the room or, or you know, have, have me work with somebody else, whatever. Um, for the most part, I had great teachers. They didn't quite understand why I, I, I didn't want to be um, uh, singled out, you know, but um, I, I did. I, I struggled with it, and, and I anguished over how do I get this teacher to come on board, you know, and some of them were just, um, you know, we got a variety of people. I just didn't connect well with some teachers, you know. Now, while you were in uh, school, middle and high school, you know, for a guy, sports is something that's very important. And I would imagine if you had RP and reduced central vision and you didn't have the natural lenses of your eyes, um, seeing a baseball or hitting a baseball would be difficult or uh, playing basketball could be difficult how did how did you get along with the other kids when it came down time to uh, PE or recess those sorts of sports? Well, as as I realized, um, I tried to hide my blindness from everybody, but uh, I think I was uh, everyone knew, and I was only hiding it from myself. It was it was really bizarre because I, I everyone knew that I couldn't see very well. And they knew what guts I had to play basketball and baseball and things like that. And I wasn't very good, but I did have a good time doing it. I just wa- I wanted to have a good time and just not look like an idiot. That's all. I-, I I didn't care if I won. I just wanted to be in the game. You know what I mean? Wow. So you actually were out there playing baseball with the other kids when you had twenty two hundred vision, uh, or worse. Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh. Wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. And and was there ever a time where you then felt it was important for you to speak to your classmates and tell them about your vision condition? Did you ever do that in middle or in high school? Um, I would like to say yes, but I, I never got in front of a class and, and was able to express my true uh, uh, um uh, eye conditions and what I really needed. I, I tried to hide it. I didn't grow up until after I graduated from high school. I learned how to do that w- once I got a cane. Once I had the cane, the, the cat was out of the bag, and I realized that all I – it's more mature in college than they were in junior high and high school, too. Um, but once I started carrying a cane and using it, um, I, I became comfortable, more comfortable in my own skin. And that took a long, long time. Wow. And what grade were you when you began to use your cane? Uh, it was college. Um, they wouldn't let me graduate high school without mobility training, but I forced them to, I said I would do it as long as they took somewhere where no one would ever see me. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so, Keith, at what time did you then actually realize that you had the abilities to attend college? 
You know, many many children who have low vision, they don't think that they're capable of going to college. Many of them won't even apply to college. Others say, well, I just want to stay home with my mom and dad and get get a Social Security check. What was it that made you realize that you wanted to go to college and become a teacher for the visually impaired? Well, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a rock and roll star. I had a guitar. I had <laughs> a full a full stack, and I played with. I rocked out with my friends, and I thought I was going to be Eddie Van Halen. And I started seeing the path that my friends went down, and I and I start and I and again my goals were to you know eventually have a family and be on my own and be independent. And I and I saw the lifestyle not getting me there, so I decided you know I need to do something different. And I realized that the key was college, and I and I was terrified because I wasn't very good in high school, junior high, and even elementary school. I, w- I was an average kid. Actually, I was above. I, w- I was better than average, but because of my blindness, I I you know came out as average in my grades and things like that. But but when I realized that uh, music wasn't going to make it for me, and I realized that that education was the key for me to be. Um, you know, independent and, and uh, have the lifestyle that I wanted. I just dedicated all my energy towards learning how to take notes, learning how to um, find, net, learning how to network with other other students on how what teachers they liked and didn't like, whether they were good students with uh, visual impairments, whether uh, how they tested, and I mean, uh, it just became an obsession with. Um, trying to find the, the where there's a will, what, there's an A was one of the programs that was out there, and I was doing everything I could to find the way, you know, to make an A. <laughs> you know, it, it just, I, yeah. I, I, there just was, there was no, there was no going back. I had no other choice. I just, that's what I wanted to do, and uh, that was the answer. So I just did it, and, and um uh, just I just didn't quit. I wanted to quit many, many, many times. My friends were doing stuff, and they were out going out, but I, I had to learn how to study, and I record all my lectures on cassettes, and I had to take notes from cassettes until I could learn how to take notes in real time. And it, 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 was, it was a lot of, um, of uh, a sacrifice. I sacrificed my 20s for, for where I'm at today, and I'm grateful that I was able to do that. You know, Keith, uh, I, I've met your wife, uh, Dr. Diane Christian, and actually she worked for me at the Center for the Parsi Sighted as, as a psychologist. Uh, I am certain that she had a significant role in in guiding you and helping you to become uh, the success that you are. And how did you meet her? When did you start dating her? Did you start dating her in college, and and she would help you to take notes, or how did you two meet? Yeah, um, without a doubt, she is the key to my success, uh, along with many others um, who guided and supported me and encouraged me. Um, she, when I was uh, when I was uh, wanting to be aspiring to be Eddie Van Halen, um, <laughs> I, I was calling a friend of mine whose number ended in. Uh, um, 0116, and, and I sometimes would mess up 534, 539, 530 as a prefix, and, and I was calling a friend with one number, and, and I just actually slipped and called the 537 instead of 530, and, and she answered the phone. It was January 29th, 1985, and I said, 
and, and she answered the phone, and I just, you know, I said, oh, hey, you so-and-so there? And she said, no. And I said, oh, well, I'm sorry that they're not there, you know. And I hung up, and then I did it again. I said, God, you sound cute. What's your name, you know? And after a couple um, accidental phone call misdials, <laughs> I started calling her, and uh, she anticipated my call, and uh, we ended up started uh, uh, talking on the phone, and we had great conversation. And what was amazing about it is that I got to meet somebody and talk to them and develop a relationship with somebody where I wasn't blind or where I wasn't hiding my blindness actively. Where talking on the phone, it didn't really matter. I, there were, you you right. couldn't see me run into anything. You couldn't see me spill things and blah, blah, blah. Well, um, uh, so I had, a, I had a phone relationship with her for about three months before I met her. And then uh, she actually found out that I was blind, uh, going blind from one of her coworkers. And she called me and she was furious because oh. I didn't tell her. Because we, we had been talking for a long time and she thought that, that uh, it was unbelievable that I didn't tell her. And she asked me, why didn't you tell me? And the famous line that still uh, goes around today is is that I told her, well, you never asked me. So, anyway, <laughs> that's a bad... <laughs> you know, so right? I was she able, was I, that I was angry excited. about that, huh? Yeah, she still holds it over my head, yeah. But but I was able to be so a sighted person, you know, and it was just one of those things. I, I, I didn't, it didn't, it wasn't necessary to tell her, you know. Right. So we ended up uh, dating for four years, and and uh, she she had her heart set on get becoming a, a doctor, and um, um, and my my thoughts in going places fell in line with that, and I thought, you know, I, playing the guitar is a great hobby, you know, and and I and and it it, it just didn't work out to be my route to um, uh, my career. But it's a great hobby, and I get to share that with my my kids and my students, and and all my neighbors too. When I turn up loud enough, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, but uh, Keith, um, how old were you when you made that phone call and you met Diane? Were you still in high oh, school? I just graduated. Yeah, I just graduated. Yeah. Wow. It was January of '85. Yeah. Now, one of the things, and I don't. I don't know because uh, I began to lose my sight after I was uh, married. But so many of my patients, they tell me these things. They say, you know, I said, what would you like to do? You know, what do you want to do? Uh, do you want to go to college? <laughs> do you want to go out? What do you want to do? Oh, you know, I'd love to go on dates, but nobody wants to date a person with low vision. I said, yeah, I don't yeah. know that that's true. <laughs> I know people who uh, are dating. I mean, yeah. look at Mr. Christian. He, he's yeah. happily married. And, you know, another one of the, the patients that you and I both know, uh, Jake Olson, he, yeah. he lost his vision at the age of 12 because they had to yeah. remove his eyes because of cancer. And today mm -hmm. he is on the USC starting football team as the long snapper, and he is totally blind. I just talked to him last week. And... I said, well, how is it with all the girls there at USC? <laughs> oh, gosh, Dr. Bill. It's so uncomfortable. He said, I don't like all these girls chasing me. I got a girlfriend, and I feel so bad talking to these other girls. But for you, how was it that you were able to keep the relationship between you and Diane going on even after she learned that you were going blind? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, um, you have to you, you have to learn how to treat people in a way that that's fair. I I, I think that sometimes um, I, I learned that you, you always treat people. You, you got I had to be careful, and it, this wasn't just with girls; this was with guys too. When I needed a ride, I didn't always didn't always ask the same person for a ride, or or if I always offered to pay, or I'd pay for gas, or whatever. I always chipped in more than I was asked, or whatever, just so it wasn't I wasn't a burden. I'd never want to be a burden. I don't want anyone to think, oh, here comes Keith. I I I I will not do that. I you know so. I try to find ways to make sure that I, I participate more in the date than, than she does. She's just driving. But that, <laughs> that, was, that, is really, that, is, that is really hard, though, to find girls that drive that will take a blind guy out. But, but it's the way you do it, you know. Um, you, know you, can, you, can, you can set up a wonderful date. And you can make a girl an offer she just can't refuse, and that's what I would tell her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse, you know, and, and hope and praise that she doesn't refuse, you know. But but it was heartbreaking because there were a lot of no's. There was a lot of disappointment, but you just never give up. Yes. But you know what? The reality of it is that if you had perfect vision, there would be a lot of girls who would reject you and not want to go out mm-hmm. with you, or maybe yeah. they were seeing somebody else. So. Your example shows that it, it was your personality and who you are that that encouraged her to want to be with you. It wasn't yes. what you were able to see. Right. And while you were dating, you know, a question that comes up is, did she ask you, am I going to have to support you forever? Are you going to be able to get a job or what? Did she that was the fear of like that. That was the fear of her family. Um, her mom, her grandmother, her her whole family, um, but in, in going to Thanksgiving dinner, you know, all the family dinners and all that sort of stuff in the beginning was very, very threatening. It was rough, um, but you know, I, I, but it's just like going to school, you know, learning how to endure, going through uncomfortable things because you want the prize at the end, you know, the gra- whether it's graduating from high school or getting married. It's sort of a process you go through, and, and you have to learn how to keep it positive and, and, and know that people are watching what you do, not just what you say. And I told, I told them that, that um, I will do anything and everything I can to help get um, Diane through. Her, her, her dream was to get a Ph.D., and, and that's what we did. We worked together, and our, and, uh, our biggest uh, um, sense of accomplishment was that we did make it through school, and we didn't take out school loans. We, we worked, and we, we uh, you know, we, we, we worked oh. our butts off. Yeah. You, you guys didn't take out any school loans, and still, no. I know how you guys uh, got married and you purchased a home. You had two kids, and uh, yeah. may I ask, Keith, uh, how how are your children? Do any of your children have retinitis pigmentosa? No, no. I, I'm grateful that they're they're basically carriers of the recessive gene, and uh, so they have to be you know um, be aware of the the uh, the history of their 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 mates in the future, and be aware that they have a recessive gene for RP. Yeah. Now, was it ever was it ever difficult for you, Keith? You know, as a, a father, when your kids are two or three years old, they don't really know a difference. They don't know if you see or not, or maybe they just yeah. think that you're funny because you're dropping yeah. and bumping into things. Right. But right. as they get a bit older, 
Yeah. Did you did you encounter situations where your kids were either embarrassed of you, or they said, "Dad, don't yes. don't, don't come around with my friends because I don't want them to know you're blind"? Or what sort of things that were were difficult, and how did you overcome those? Because I I I have sensed those myself with my children. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I, it wasn't blatant, but I, but I did notice there were times when, um, when we needed to go, when I needed to go sighted guide, when I, when I was in a bad spot, we were somewhere dark and I was bumping into things. I needed a hand. I could tell when my son would, would grab my, my shirt and kind of like, like yank on my shirt to give me direction, but didn't want to hold on to my arm or, oh, or whatever. But, yeah. You know what I mean? Those sorts of things. But. As as they grow up and they realize that this is dad and that um, you know, um, I think they kind of grow up a little bit. And I think the hard part was is just not taking it personal and realize that they're just a kid. And I can understand. And I just would tell myself I can appreciate how they might feel that because they're young and 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 I just had to learn how to let it go, and, and then have a talk with them and say, hey, you know what, I hope I didn't make you feel uncomfortable. You know, and I would ask them, hey, would there be a way that if I needed to go sight a guy that would make you feel more comfortable, maybe I could grab your elbow instead of, like, if you see me needing help and you start tugging on my arm, how about <laughs> I just, you know, I'll, I'll, you know and, and we would try and work little things out that would make them more comfortable, and I think they appreciated that, but that was really hard to do, you know. You know, that's so great, though, that you communicated that with them. And I, I had the sense that, uh, you know, when I started to uh, lose my vision, my kids were in middle school and things like that. And, you know, none of the other kids are doing sighted guide with their parents, so I would sort of back off and go with my wife or what have you. But it's so interesting now that my kids are all out of college. When yeah. When their friends come over and, you know, we'll all go out to dinner together, they all want to do sighted guide with me. They all want yeah. to guide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, now, and now that they're older, it's not as much of a problem. My, my daughter, my, I have to be careful because my daughter is just a doll. She's adorable. And whenever we go, she loves going sighted guide. She wraps her arm around me and we, you know, we, and, and I'm like, and, 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 and we, I, I just feel this like look at me like, it, it, what I do is I make sure I have my cane in my hand because it looks like I'm, you know, it's my date. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's like, uh oh, I can tell. I just by the vibe I get, you know. I just pull my cane and I just make sure that people know that the reason why she's holding on to me like that, or we're going inside a guy like this, is because, you know, that's my daughter. Oh, you know? yeah. Even at DMV and stores, you know, just uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it, and it, it's so interesting because, you know, being low vision yourself, you see the picture and you can anticipate how they may be uncomfortable. But then as they get older, you know, they understand the whole thing and everything comes around, you know, just so well. And, you know, Keith, one of the things that I was really impressed with is that the first day that you came over and you taught me how to use JAWS, it, it opened up my life so that I could use a computer. And you told me how you had just drywalled your entire garage and that you just built a waterfall in your backyard and you did the electrical. And I just said, how can this guy be doing these things when he's blind? 
and you told me how you do these things. And I realized, you know, you don't need vision to do many of these things. And it, it, it made me feel so proud when I was able to resume doing some of these kinds of hobbies and such. Uh, how did you learn that you could do these things? Did, did your dad teach you and say, well, uh, let's do it with a sense of our touch and our fingers since you can't see it? Or was there another blind mentor who taught you how to do all of these things such as cement and plumbing and carpentry and electric? Who taught you to do these things? I watched my brothers and my sisters and my, my uncles. I, I had a large family, and, and I was part of the, 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 the crew, you know. Um, of course, when there was live wires, though, um, they were more cautious, but they would show me. You know, they would say, this goes with this and this goes with that, and don't ever touch these together, you know. Um, you know, and yeah. it, it, I think, I think they, they got, I don't think they realized how bad my vision was, but, but, um, but they included me. And I think that's the, the kind of the neat thing that I do as a teacher. I realized what well, the things that I did as a kid, I do as an adult. So I try to bring all those experiences that I have, that I enjoy, my hobbies, the things that I think are important for me as an adult. I bring them in my classroom. I mean, we have, you know, all kinds of things that I expose the students to, whether it's how to pitch a tent or how to, you know, uh, build things out of wood or whatever. I know that just planting a seed at an early age makes people more comfortable doing things that are related to that later on in life. I didn't, I didn't build a waterfall when I was a kid, but I understood the, the, the concept by wiring up lighting and stuff like that. I mean, I, I you know, so so I, I try to take the things that, that I, the gifts that I've been given as a kid and I enjoy today as an adult, and I'm grateful to be able to share them with little kids in, in, in small doses, you know, and I, I just love seeing the light bulb go off. And then my kids, my kids, and I get a lot of help. I, I don't mean to fight, but I do this all on my own. This, I get help. I just I provide the spark, and the, it's going to get done with your help or without. So you might as well give me a hand and help me do it right, right? <laughs> no, but you know these yeah. things that you teach the kids. You know, it just makes them feel so good. The night that I went to your open house, I was really, really very, very down. I I did not want to go to open house, but I just wanted to show to my daughter that hey, you know what? I'm your dad, and I'm here for you, and I'm going to go to your open house. And I was feeling pretty bad. And first of all, when you grabbed my hand and started taking me around the room, I was so embarrassed. I go, man, why is he grabbing my arm? Why is it going to look so strange to all the men over there? And then Mm -hmm. we went into your music room, and you Mm -hmm. strapped on that electric guitar, (laughs) and you let me strum it. It felt so good. I don't know how to play the guitar, but it felt so good. And And it sounded great, too. (laughs) Thank you. But that's what you are doing. You are inspiring these kids and showing their parents that these are things they can do. And, you know, before we open up the questions, though, Keith, I want to ask you, what has been the most important thing that you have changed, you know, in the way that you teach these kids uh, who are blind and low vision, since the first day that you started to the way that it is now? Is there anything that you have changed in your methodology 
uh, are you stricter? Are you easier? Are, are, are you giving them good grades? Or What is it that you feel has made you become the best teacher for the visually impaired in the country? <laughs> well, I, I thank you for that. I, 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 think, I think a lot of it is attitude. I think the most important thing that I can do that I do for my students is I allow them to experience success and, and I allow them to make mistakes and reap the, the this for their for their actions. And I think we have a lot of helicopter parents that come in and save their kids. And um, I think that the parents that allow their kids to make mistakes at an early age and have to find the solutions for them and me say, oh, um, it's a bummer you chose to do that. Um, let me know how it works out, you know, or, or I'm sure you'll figure out. I'll tell them something positive, but it, but it, it, it comes with a consequence. And it's not just bad things, but, but when, they, when, they, when they work hard, there's a good consequence. When they do things that aren't so good, then there's a consequence for that, and I allow them the, the opportunity to, to, to um, have – I have trust and faith in them that they'll, they will make mistakes and then they won't repeat them. And if they do, that's a bummer. It's on them. It's not my fault. And I, and I think that's one area that I, that I really think helps me a lot because I used to struggle a lot with kids when they wouldn't do their homework or they wouldn't do they wouldn't edit their papers they wouldn't learn how to do what I was trying to teach them I allow them to make some choices and have to live with those consequences mm-hmm. you know I think that is so right because I have learned in, in in my life you know even though you may think that your life is going perfect and uh, you know like I said I want to become a doctor at the age of six everybody else was my in my family was a Japanese gardener except for me and when I made it, and I opened my own practice, and I worked at the Center for the Parsi Sighted, and I became the doctor to all the stars and celebrities and all of these famous people, you know, I thought my life was just so perfect. I am so blessed. This is so perfect. But things do happen. And when things go poorly for you, you have to be able to make a change and rebound. And mm-hmm. I think that is what you're teaching the kids and that is what you really taught me was to how to rebound from some of these things. So I I thank you from the bottom of my heart, Keith. And uh, I I would like to ask, do you have about ten minutes to answer questions from our audience? We have a very large audience here. Uh, can you? Sure. Answer? Yes. But I also would like to say I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to be that that person was there for you. And anyone and everyone I know would have jumped in and and did it any did what done what I would have missed. Would have jumped in and helped you out as I did, and, and it was I was grateful that I was there for you. So, oh, thank you, thank you so much. I really mean that. Yeah. Well, if any of you have questions that you'd like to ask uh, Mr. Keith Christian, uh, teacher for the visually impaired in uh, Anaheim, California, if you press your phone, R number one, and you Dr. can in- introduce yourself and ask your question. Yes, Tom Lelos. Doctor Bill, I've got two comments and one question. Now, Dr. Bill, you and I have met finally, and as Keith has described his life and losing his vision, you've heard me say, don't be a bonehead, okay? Yeah, that's <laughs> well, right. That, that's really cool that Keith has been a success, and all the time that he was growing up, he was a bonehead. Because oh, yeah. 
you know, he did not ask for all the help that's available out there. He wanted to be a bonehead. And yeah. so after all that, he was a success. And the reason that he was success, a success was he didn't give up on himself. And I think that is so, so important with all of us that, that have this vision handicap that we're all plagued with. And so those are my two comments. My question is, what kind of grabbed me to be on this call tonight was Keith was a carpenter. And so I was yeah. hoping to hear more about being a carpenter and because I don't think my shop days are over with yet. And so I was kind of looking for some hints. Maybe there's an organization out there for blind woodworkers or something oh. where I could get some hints. So that's my question. I am so glad you asked. And have I got the most wonderful group of blind guys? Uh, it's called Woodworking for the Blind. Google it. It's www4, the number 4b.org. Um, Larry, Larry, uh, um, uh, I can't remember his last name. Uh, Larry records um, about ten magazines of woodworking from Woodsmith to uh, all kinds of magazines. He reads them, and then the uh, the, the articles are saved um, on their website. You can download like full CDs of like many many magazines, hundreds of hours of magazines, current ones. And uh, then there's a forum that, that's just an email list that uh, it's uh, the blind woodworkers, just like the blind handyman list. And um, it's a bunch of great guys who have all kinds of different backgrounds in engineering. And, you know, like all of us, we all have very different backgrounds, and they're all just passionate woodworkers. We're not really carpenters. We do some carpentry, but I'd, I'd say we're more, more woodworkers. Like, I, I really enjoy, you know... Uh, you know, turning stuff on a lathe and, and, and using my table saw, bandsaw, routers, things like that. Anything to do with woodworking, carpentry, but woodworking, um, www4b.org is the place to go, and it's a great bunch of guys. I'm so glad you asked. Thank you very much, Keith. I'll write that down. I appreciate it. I look, I look forward to seeing you on the list. There you go. Okay. Thank you. Uh, next question for Keith. Uh, Ken Stewart. Go right ahead, Ken. Uh, yeah, the question is in terms of the, we've been talking about it already, in terms of when to reveal how much, and particularly applied to dating uh, somebody. You don't want to be the, the person you want to date to be turned off, but you also want to be honest with them and so forth. And I had an experience in my young adult life before I got married. Uh, I started dating somebody, and in those days I could, I could, uh, conceal my high partial mm -hmm. disability pretty well, but uh, gradually she was discovering, you know, things I couldn't see and couldn't do and so forth. So I sort of apologetically, I said to, you know, what, what was your reaction when you started learning about my disability? She said, oh, I liked it a lot. She said, I knew that when we were in a big room with a lot of other people, you wouldn't realize that pretty woman across the room was trying to flirt with you. <laughs> Well, that is an advantage. So I don't know if there's any general principles, Keith, would suggest in terms of how soon you reveal how much in terms of, uh, you know, somebody new you're getting to know. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it really boiled down for me is, is how much of an investment uh, time do you, want, do you want to invest in this person? Um, for me, I, I, I didn't want to get to like somebody a whole lot and then 
be let down when she finds out that I was visually impaired and going blind is the, the term that the girls would say when they would find out. Um, I, I was pretty up, up front with them. It, either you liked me or you didn't, you know, and, and, and a lot of them, it scared a lot of girls away, but I didn't waste a whole lot of time. I, I was very sad for a short period of time, whereas I, I did date some girls where I tried the other technique of, you know, concealing it, and I was very good at it, unless it was at night and it was loud, you know, like concerts and and uh, parties, things like that. But I, 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 I decided that it was better to be up front, except for my wife, who I concealed it from for three months on the phone. <laughs> but that wasn't somebody who I was, you know, face-to-face in front of, you know what I mean? Actually, meeting my wife on the phone, I had no idea that, you know, I thought we would, it was great to have a conversation with a a woman or a girl, and and at any time we could say anything we wanted to, and if we didn't like it, we'd hang up and never call each other back, and it was no big deal. (laughs) But it became a a big deal, though, you know? Oh, gosh. Well, if any of you have not met uh Diane Christian uh you'll 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 be really really impressed when you meet her Keith Keith really won first prize when he met her and uh I'm really without a doubt uh next question please okay well uh I think that that at this particular point in time I know sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to ask questions that are are more public but Keith, if any of the people who are on the call or people who will hear the call on the podcast have questions, is there a way that they could email you and ask you questions or if they need other resources? Well, sure. Sure, sure, sure. My email address is Keith Christian, K-E-I-T-H-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, at roadrunner.com. And um, I, I, I think one of the things that, that – I really enjoy doing is giving back, and I I, I I'm always willing to uh, um, brainstorm and, and come up with ideas and, and uh, share share what I know um, if it, if it's of any help. So I'm happy to do that. Yes, and Keith is a, a speaker every year at the CTEBVI conference in California. So if you are in in California attending those conferences. Uh, Keith's a great person to come to listen to. I know that uh, was it. Yeah, last year you you gave a presentation about the Chromebooks. Was that what you were you were talking about? <laughs> yeah, our school adopted Chromebooks, and and I think yeah, I think sometimes even though you don't want to go down a road, you got to do what's right for the kids. And Chromebooks seems to be a path that a lot of our kids are are going down. Although I I don't necessarily think it's the best. It's one that our school chose, and so yeah, we did a presentation at at CTBDI on uh, using Chromebooks with uh, iOS and, and Chromebooks and uh, and JAWS, so the three different platforms. Well, if uh, anybody ever needs a, a person to speak at any events too, oh, I, no. I would I'd strongly recommend that you ask Keith. And uh, the yeah, thing that Keith you. is is known for the best amongst his his close friends over here in California is that Keith is a master beer brewer. He is is amazing at making his own homemade beer. So, uh, Keith, I again want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on this call tonight. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
And for all of you out there, I just want to remind you that this will be up on the podcast up at www.cclvi.org and also on Airs LA, that's www.airsla.org. And I hope that you join us next month when we bring you the vendors uh, from the most popular assistive technology. We'll talk about what's going to be available for your students in the fall.